the pleasure principle video is my rite of passage. <laughs> That's a good right. I, I basically broke up with the girl I was dating at the time. It's like, okay, you're completely wrong. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's 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 sync up before somebody says something funny. I'm doing. the b-side scoop isaac jahan arthur the music is the Music Snobs Podcast. My name is Arthur, your lead voice, and I am joined by my co-hosts, Scoop, Isaac, and Jahan. On February 4th, 1986, which will which will be 35 years come February 2021, Damn. Janet Jackson released Control, an album so good that people to this day still think her it's her debut album. When it's actually her third, Control was an album so good that seven of the nine songs on the album were released as singles. Mm. That's like, what, 90, almost 90% of the album? Yeah. Basically the whole album, yeah. Yeah, basically, yeah. Control had massive crossover appeal. It was top of both the Billboard pop chart and the black so-called R&B chart by the summer to date. Sales are estimated at over 10 million worldwide. And I think at the time, the only album that was bigger than her was Whitney Houston's debut, which was released a year earlier in 85. But if you contrast the two albums, both Control and Whitney Houston, Control consistently speaks directly to a black audience, okay? which, mm-hmm. which leads us to question today is Janet Jackson's Control the first unapologetically black modern crossover success that didn't change a damn thing to appeal to a mainstream pop audience? I looked at the Billboard year-end charts for the for what 85 and 86, and like every massive 85 album by a black artist was actually released in 1984. Right. And in the top 10 for 85 of top albums, there were only two black artists. One was Tina Turner, riding off of Private Dancer. And the other is Billy Ocean. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) John's favorite. Now, if you flip. What the hell? If you you flip to 86. (laughs) So if you flip to 86. Whitney Houston, released in 85, was the top-selling album, well, the top Billboard album on their chart for 1986. Control was actually number six on the year-end chart for Billboard's 86 albums. And Sade, her second album, Promise, was number eight, which I thought was interesting. Mm -hmm. But if you take, and I mean, obviously, there's 
Phil Collins, No Jacket Required. There's uh, Miami Sound Machine, Gloria Estefan. There's, you know, Wham's album, you know, in the mix, you know, there. Purple Rain's in there for the 84, 85 chart, right? You, you, all, of, all of those other albums, with the exception of Control, have some, some pathway for a crossover audience. A bridge. A bridge. Right. And crossover is basically, you know, code for white people. Right. Behind your record. So, but, <laughs> In but case you've control, never listened to this show in, before. <laughs> that's right. That's our code. Right. We, right, you, right. we usually don't use the code, though, do we? We, we, we usually just say no. it. Scoop says it. I say it. Right. <laughs> yeah. It's called transparency, um, man. Transparency. Right. That's how we run this administration. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and check it out, too. So, so, like, in the 85 chart... Beverly Hills Cop, the soundtrack to Beverly Hills Cop appears, which actually was a film and album that was released in 1984. But on Beverly Hills Cop, I remember the Pointer Sisters, I think the Pointer Sisters had Neutron Dance. Mm-hmm. Yep. That was a hit for them. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was still very, you know, crossover, pop. Control didn't have none of that all the way through it. So what did it? So this this decision, though, to to go... Black or Urban or all those other, you know, names that are put on our music. Correct me if I'm wrong, but this was a definitive decision by Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis. This was them saying, if we're going to do this, this is the way that we want to do it. Am I wrong? Am I right or wrong about that? My personal feel is that they were, at the time, to Arthur's point in the beginning, Janet's career, based on her first two albums, was so in jeopardy that they wanted to make music that was totally opposite of what she had done before. Right, so mm-hmm. her first two albums, and I'm not, I'm not as as familiar with her first two albums because I knew that, like uh, what Arthur said at the beginning of the show, I think that most people probably listening to the show are probably in that same in that camp where there's like, wait a minute, she had two albums before that. I I knew that, but it's like I couldn't <laughs> I couldn't name a song off of it. I think the first one, the one right before Control, was Dream Something. Uh, yeah, Dream Street yeah. and Giant Dream Jackson. Street. So yeah. those two albums, I'm, I'm assuming, were very poppy. Is, is that right, or were they, or they more like this? You know, the contemporary R and B of that they time. They were. Or? They were. They were very poppy. Janet appeared it's like pop R and B. You know, like Janet was on American Bandstand behind her debut album, and she sang "Young Love." I remember that clearly. And then I think she did my jam, uh, "Come Give Your Love to Me." So you have this, uh, you know, late this late teen young girl who comes mm-hmm. from a superstar family. Because Janet is not the is she the youngest? She's not the youngest Jackson, is she? Or is she the youngest? Yeah, she's, the baby. she's the baby. She's the baby. So she grew up in the superstardom. You know what I'm saying? Yep. So she wasn't in the Gary, Indiana, you know, element. You know, she grew up within the superstardom at the time when they were blowing up. Coming from and then her first two albums controlled by her father, you know, executive producer, or whatever. Uh, I believe Michael was involved, Marlon was involved. Um, so you have that, you know, no pun intended, but you have the control right there. Yeah. Then she gets with Jimmy Jam and Terry, Terry Lewis, notably coming from one of the whitest cities in America, one of the whitest states in America, mm-hmm. Minnesota. And you put these two things together and the decision is to made that we are going to create an album that black people are going to love. That's going to be strictly, you know, not strictly. I mean, yeah, strictly for them, but strictly felt by them, you know, and whatever happens, happens almost. But that's the kind of music that they made, right? right? That's the kind of music they like, didn't it's shift. Not like they were making country and western before. Right, that. they didn't shift. So, well, I, know, I, I do think there's a shift. Mm. I do think there's like a production shift. Right. I'd only been listening to music for a few years before it came out, but Control to me was like the first time 
I'd heard a new sound, mm-hmm. whether it was my dad's tapes or music at that time, like like even like Thriller or something. It all sounded to me like styles I'd already or production styles I'd already heard. Control it sort of hit me between the eyes, and even now, if you listen to like production wise, it just sounded so new and so fresh, and and you know very hard hitting, for example, and maybe a little bit more regimented in a way than even sort of like uh, George Clinton etc. was doing. There's a sort of robotic or reg—I don't want to say robotic; it sounds negative, but it's kind of like a regimented feel to mm. it. Um, it. Even if you listen to Jimmy and Terry's previous productions, which you know, since I had heard Control, I was able to one day go back and listen to that stuff. It sounds very different. Mm-hmm. It doesn't sound—you know—you can you can hear compositionally huge similarities. Um, but sound-wise, like production sound-wise, mixing, etc., it doesn't have that same sort of, I don't know what the way to describe it is, but tension, perhaps. Um, everything sounds quite frantic and, um, and very, very forward-driven. Like, it's, like everything drives on that um, on the album. I don't know if that explains it. But, I, think uh, tension, I think tension explains it. Yeah, no, I think they were building the sound around. I think they were building the sound around the artists at the time. I'm trying to answer Isaac's question in the fact that I don't think it was their intent to make black music. I think they were really looking at Janet and saying we're trying to remove her from because this is what she wanted to do from what she had done previous to this. Right, we, we but need, I think we but need you to know to that point though, Scoot. Opposite, though. Right, but to that point, I think some of these songs, and just in the little bit of research I did, some of these songs were not some of the I guess the DNA of these songs were not specifically created for Janet no they were created for other projects and right. then when they started working with her it was like okay let's see if we can you know mm-hmm. retrofit these to what she wants mm-hmm. to do right exactly mm-hmm. but that's the thing it wound up working after listening and speaking and spending time with her they're like alright we have this for this project but this fits what we're trying to do here if you look at mm-hmm. what she did mm-hmm. before because she's trying to distance herself as well from everything connected to her family and her father to those first two albums, she's really trying to establish herself as an artist. I'm just saying, I don't know if they went into the booth and went into the lab really thinking, like, all right, we want this to be black. I think they were saying, we yeah. want this to be the opposite of what she's doing. They were mm. already grounded in establishing a new sound of black music as well. Right. Mm-hmm. So they didn't deviate from themselves. They just adjusted what they were doing to her as being this artist that wanted to not be what she was before right. and give them what they had the freedom to do. No disrespect to Alexander O'Neill or Sherelle or the SOS band and all the other things they were doing. They had not really had a chance to shape a sound around a particular artist that could grow the way Janet could. Mm-hmm. This is the first time doing it. Like, all right, she is everything we can really build something off of. You know, we, you know, if, if you know Alexander O'Neill's story, you know, you can work with him, but you can't build anything around him. He's too much of a wild card. You can't, there, there's nothing sustainable about, Al, you do an album with Alexander O'Neill, you don't know when that next album's going to be. You're lucky to get that first one done. <laughs> no, see, he's like, he's literally but like Scoop, a... fair's fair though. If you listen to Alex O'Neill's, is it 85 album, 84 album, the, his debut... Yeah, if I... If you listen to the couple of SOS bands before uh, Sands of Time, if you listen to um, Sherelle's albums, there's something in common between all those albums. There is also something in common between those albums and Control, but beat-wise and production-wise, there's an edge and a forwardness to Control. You know, it hits you in the gut. 
Jahan, that's exactly what I'm saying. Like it's less smooth. You know what I mean, right? There's something less. There's some. There's a smoothness almost missing. Yeah. In in a good way, actually. Which I never thought I'd say that, but in a good way. Yeah. No. I I, I think it works. But yeah. I think we're saying the same things, just coming from yeah. different perspectives and saying it. Yeah. Yeah, I hear you. believe that that's where hip-hop enters the conversation like i i don't i would actually be surprised if either whether it be janet herself or jimmy jam and terry lewis as producers who are looking at you know the landscape of what's popular for their own projects would ignore lo cool j's radio from 1985 that they would ignore the show for example that they would ignore uh, uh, Roxanne, Roxanne, or and especially Lisa, Lisa, mm-hmm. because between uh, Field, of, what what is it? Feel the beat of my heart, and um, what's the what's the other joint? Uh, I wonder if I could take you, I take, if you I could take you home. Yeah, mm-hmm. not necessarily aimed control, not necessarily aimed control at that, but looked at that as a pulse that was building. Yeah, but once again, you asked if if you go back, you know, what is Janet listening to? We have to skew younger with her mm-hmm. because this is her mm-hmm. album. We want she wants this album to tell people who she is mm-hmm. at this time. So what is Janet into? And Janet is into all that stuff. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? She's what 15 years younger than they are. However, you know yeah, whatever yeah, yeah, yeah. the difference may be at the time. You know, so I'm pretty sure in order to get what they wanted to get out of her, they had to tap into a sound that she was vibing to at the time. Mm-hmm. And she had to add that element. You can't do that with Sherelle. You can't do that with Alexander. Mm-hmm. You can't do that with the people they were doing because they skew up. This is their artist that they can shape a sound around where she's trying to go at this point in time. Yeah, now that you said that, she's and I'm probably the sure, youngest yard artist sure, that they ever worked with at yeah. the time. Yeah. That's my point. So when you're sitting down talking to her and learning who she is, what she's into... And they're trying to build this around who she is as the mm-hmm. artist at the time. Those other sounds that she's feeling, they have to find a way to incorporate it because that's who's going to shape who she is. But I think there's something mm-hmm. in what you said, Arthur, as well about hip hop. And like, if not musically, even just culturally, I hate what I'm about to say because I'm going to sound like some like middle class white critic. But <laughs> if you listen to like Nasty, for example... That sort of, I mean, at least when it came out and when I was a little boy, it sounded like I was listening to something outside, like as in on the street. It sounded mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. And does that sound yeah, corny yeah, as hell? Yeah, I hope yeah. it doesn't sound no. corny as hell. But No, it doesn't. No, it, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. It sounded like you were in the ghetto, Jahan. <laughs> <laughs> you were, you right. were with the element. <laughs> yeah, I was the element, bro. <laughs> <laughs> Can I say, okay, so Arthur, you asked, you know, was Control the first unapologetically black, you know, crossover success that didn't change the thing, you know, about it to become that? And I think arguably the answer to that question is definitely yes. But I got to ask you guys about a song that I found myself because I was very young when this album came out. I remember seeing the first my first awareness of this album was, I think, the Control video, you know, and she Mm -hmm. was in the all black and Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis were on stage, and I kind of recognized them 
from mm-hmm. some you know picture or something in a magazine that I had seen at the time a long time. Mm-hmm. But I was mm-hmm. you know I was young, so it was like I assumed Janet Jackson was already a superstar. You know, when you're that small, it's like anybody you see on TV, oh, they must be you know a huge superstar. You didn't know that this was a major moment in their career. But I remember at some point, probably later, probably after um, Rhythm Nation came out, I had, you know, Rhythm Nation, of course. And then I got the Control album as well. And Mm -hmm. I actually was, you know, at that age, I was listening to it as a preteen. But I remember constantly fast forwarding through one song. And this is the song I ask you about. Is this song is this song unapologetically black? And it did it not make any, you know, um, uh, concessions. And I think arguably it did. And that's You Can Be Mine. So I have to ask you guys about You Can Be Mine. Mm-hmm. How, I mean, how do you guys feel about this song? Because I have mixed You Can Be Mine to me is like a movie that, that I really don't like, but there's key scenes in it that I really do like. Um, but I want to hear you guys talk about that track, because that's the one track I think that maybe if somebody was going to argue the point about this album, be unapology black, they may pull that out and say, wait a minute. What about this song? I suppose you could. But, you know, that that's the song on Control that sounds most like a song that could be used on Alexander O'Neill's album, or even Sherelle. Exactly. Like, I could hear either one of them over mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, I would have to say no. I, I'd, I'd at least have an argument against mm-hmm. it being, you know, pop focus. It's got a dope bridge. That, and that's one of the scenes I like. It's, that's that's the scene I like. That, that bridge is like, whoa, you have to wait a minute to get to it. But it that, as I mean, it's a bridge, of course. So, yeah, you got to wait a minute. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. a lot of their songs have that beautiful bridge in them, too. But I think I mean, I know what you mean, because it's 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 leaning a bit heavy on the electric guitar, etc. And mm-hmm. uh, not that that not, you know, not that that is necessarily owned by by whiteness, quite the opposite. But I know what you mean. It does lean a little bit more towards a kind of a little bit more cartoony, mm-hmm. you know, in, 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 in its delivery. I, I, I know what you mean. Mm-hmm. But still, I mean, that beat is still like real heavy and mm-hmm. it's still loud as hell. It's, yeah, the, the beat um, is... The... It doesn't have... It, even for me at the time, I used to fast forward it back, you know, back then. Mm-hmm. I think in the context of control, nasty, what have you done for me lately? Pleasure principle, mm-hmm. you know, think of you. In the context of those like back to back to back, bang, bang, bang. Yeah, definitely is something that kind of feels a little bit less intensive and driven. Like the pulse kind of seems to be lacking mm. comparatively. So, so I get what you mean there. But I wonder if, as the other cats are saying, I wonder if, if you pick that up and you put it on Fragile mm. or if you pick that up and you put it on one of SOS Band's first albums, if we'd feel different. It feels, you know, that song to me feels, and I think your description of it is, is, is pretty spot on because it feels like all the other tracks on the album are very south side, you know what I'm saying? For lack of a better term, just to, just to right. use an analogy or a metaphor. But that song feels like the cousin from the suburbs who comes to visit the south side cousins. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, it still has and that. And has a good time. And has a good and, time. And has a good time, you know. But right. when, as when I was younger, I would just fast forward through that track to get to the net. You know what I'm saying? It was just like, mm-hmm. I... I, I wasn't patient enough to give it the time because, yeah, when it gets to the bridge and in, in particular, the last few minutes of that song, too, um, are great scenes that I like. But, yeah, that that song, just to kind of devil's advocate, um, Arthur, if I was going to argue against control being unapolog- unapologetically back, if I was forced to do that, that would be the one thing I would say, well, what about this? You know, what about the first few minutes of this song? It does. It, it sounds like it's more the intent was to get it on the charts, you know, and it, ironically, I think it and uh um, 
He doesn't even know I'm alive are the only ones that weren't singles. By the way, he doesn't know he doesn't even know alive is like one of the ultimate stalker jams. I don't if that was a dude who I love did, that if that was a dude who, who did that song, there would be major issues. Uh-huh. He doesn't uh-huh. know I'm alive, but I got a picture uh-huh. of him beside my bed. I'm uh-huh. calling him up just to hear his voice. He doesn't know I'm alive, but I'm calling uh-huh. him and then hanging up, you know. Yeah, but then she bottles it, right? She bottles it at the end. She doesn't do anything crazy. She walks Stalker away. vibe. <laughs> no, no, I love that tune. So I, I gotta, and, and you know what? Quietly, quiet as it's kept. That's her, that's her best vocal performance on the album. You know, people make fun. People say a lot of stuff about her vocals, etc. Particularly compared to mm-hmm. her brother. But um, you, you know, she sings that track. You, you know, it's interesting though. Um, we, I don't know. We talked about it pre-show or when we talked about it, but we, we, or maybe you just said it a minute ago, Arthur, about control being "quote unquote" blacker than Thriller or Purple Rain. Is Control blacker than 1999? Well, okay, so I hadn't mentioned that, but I was coming to it. Somebody said something about it. <laughs> this was like the apex of the Minneapolis sound around this time. But going back to what we were talking about earlier, how we started this off, there wasn't any direct trope for pop music to hook on to. Unlike, say, Let's Go Crazy, that's on Pippa Rain, or, you know, or Beat It, that's on, that's on Thriller. You could make the argument that this album was blacker than either two of those albums. Now, 1999, I yeah, I don't think so. Hmm. I mean, to me, to me, to me, the best argument would be Little Red Corvette on 1999. Could I make the argument that? that it? Can I make the argument that it was funkier than either what Thriller? The 1999? No, no, the 1999. Uh, I mean, I, you can I make the argument. Say, that's a hard. I'd be against. That, I'd be that, on the against side. DMSR. Right. No, because I, I don't. I don't want to. Spl- I, I don't want to split hairs, is, but I think there may be a little difference between blacker and. You know what, Scoop? You know what it Jim is? Lewis- it's a difference, and I hate to do okay. all these differences because I know we're making Jahan nervous or, or irritated because we want to. You know, bl- black American music is black American music. Damn it! It's not all these categories. It's one, but thing, it's one thing. It's one thing. It's one thing. But <laughs> just to gotta get into there for a second, I think what it is, Scoop, is that there's music that's black and then there's there's hood you know what I'm saying and control oh, yeah, was no like in hood it. like to all that stuff Jahan was talking about about the kind of the tension and all that stuff I don't think 1999 had that tension you know it was no, black no. Exactly. Yeah. and I, that's what I'm saying but to answer the question that we started this episode off with is control the first one it did that was unapologetic, unapologetically black I don't think so then you know, if we if we throw in 1999, I'm sure we can find other ones. But as far as like well, the big mainstream albums, I don't think this control was more quote unquote black than 1999. Well, I think I think Prince knew that he was writing a pop record when he when he wrote Little Red Corvette. Mm-hmm. So like how you talking about you know like 1999 is black, but the times what time is it to me? That's hood. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and dude made both albums at the, yeah. you know at the same time. Yeah, presumably so he he could be hood, so he could get the hood out of his system, so he could do the 1999 and not have to do the hood at the same time on his album, right? I, I don't know, like funky. I don't know if I describe the album as funky necessarily, but um, uh, control is funky. But could you say that control is more club oriented? Absolutely, absolutely. Like it's more of a dance album than 1999, right? Absolutely, yeah. especially the first what three four tracks. Yeah. Now I'm about to make Jahan mad. Is it a black club? But dude, I mean, it's a, no, it's a black club. It's a black club. Bro. <laughs> is it a black club in the hood or is it like downtown? It's right. the black club right, that exactly, people want right. to go to because Madonna Do was doing this. Do people feel comfortable going to this club? 
Right. There's a there's a Janet Club and there's a Madonna Club here. Which club are we trying to get into, man? Right. Okay, I have I have sort of a what they call on on YouTube as a sort of a hot take, and I'm gonna it's, I'm gonna say something kind of controversial. On this show, we've had certain people claim or not even claim, be honest and say they really don't pay attention to lyrics. Notably, Jahan and Arthur. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say that Control became a hit because of the music. It was going to, it was destined to become a hit. It became iconic and global, not because of the music. Mm-hmm. Primarily, the music was mm-hmm. secondary to me. The reason this album became a global hit, felt by everybody in every corner of the world, especially women, young women, was the lyrics and the themes that came out of those lyrics. This album, right. you you start putting different lyrics and different themes to this album, and it, it is not, we, we would not be talking about it the way we're talking about it right now. We may not even be talking about it, period. It was Janet Jackson's, you know, everything that was going on in her life, obviously with uh, uh, James DeBarge, her father, taking that stance. And the fact that this album wasn't didactic, it didn't become some, you know, I'm taking control because I know exactly what I'm doing and F all y'all. It didn't become that. In fact, mm-hmm. in control, I think this the second verse. She starts talking about the mistakes she's made. You know, so when well, the first time I fell in love, so young and so naive, I thought it would be easy. You know, and you hear mm-hmm. the car crash. I think, I think that's mm-hmm. what when you hear that car crash. Um, she she stood on this this kind of uh, uh, stage in front of us and was like and, and bared herself and said, you know, here's the mistakes I've made. Here's what I've done that was wrong, but I've learned. And I've matured and I've grown through those experiences. And now I want control of my own life. And whatever happens, happens. I'm going to fuck up. I'm going to fuck up. Whatever. Mm-hmm. I don't want to deal with these type of people. Um, if you don't address me the proper way, you know, and treat me like a lady, then I'm going to ignore you. Um, if you don't treat me or, or, you know, if you don't continue to do nice things for me, then that's going to be an issue. She said mm-hmm. all of these things that on paper, I think a lot of dudes would be like, you know, she tripping. You know, she, you know, I'm not feeling blah, blah, blah. But Janet conveyed it in a way that was undeniable. Like you couldn't refute it. You know, it was just like, yeah, she deserves that. You know, and she never lost. Janet's always had a sweetness from, you know, about her ever since uh, Scoop what was the character she played on uh, uh, Good Times. Penny. 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 Ever since mm-hmm. Penny, she has Janet has a natural just sweetness about her. You know, even when she smiles, you know, you, you could go look at a picture of her now on Twitter, um, which she, she still posts. And see her smile and it's like just a natural sweetness about Janet. And she never lost that even when she was saying, you know, um, I could get mm-hmm. used to this. You know, I like mm-hmm. this. You know, all these mm-hmm. type of things. You like, go ahead, Janet. You know, you was like rooting for her. This album, the, the lyrics and the theme of this album, I think, is why people, but particularly, again, women and young women, felt this all over the world. And it just propelled this album. It just made this in a statement. And that does not happen without the lyrics. I love the music. I think I agree with everything that we've said so far in this in this episode. And I'm not taking anything away from that. But I don't think that this album would have become iconic in the way that it became mm-hmm. if you if it had different lyrics or different themes. I think that's what mm-hmm. made it what it is. See, and this is where I, I agree with you, but I still give Jam and Lewis credit for shaping that and making her feel comfortable with that. You know, because um, it's a hard... It's a hard thing to do to project somebody as to being something that they were presented as in the beginning to do the, the, the diametrically opposite of that, but still not lose Yeah, I don't that. take anything from Jam and Lewis because they're writers. 
They're no, writers no, but, as but, well. Right, you know what I'm right, saying? They write, they write lyrics. Right, I'm and just, that's what I'm saying. But, but I think... But yeah, I I'm think, not taking anything away from them. But I think they found a way to shape it in a way that w- she was able to maintain both. Right. They, and be they, happy they with made that. her, like you said, they made her comfortable with it and actually took the time to get to know her, you know, and talk to her and say, okay, what is it that you want to say? And, you know, help yeah, us write these lyrics. Exa- um, right. But... Isaac, it goes to your point about the control video you just saw. There's a there's a, there's a moment in that video where she's walking across stage, and I think it's Terry Lewis that brushes off the back of her mm. jacket and then points at her and tells her to go somewhere, go over there. And that that kind of leadership, like, all right, Janet, do your thing, but hold on, wait, 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 go right. You know, and then we're gonna we're gonna give you direction on how you do for mm-hmm. you to be you mm-hmm. and make this work, and you feel comfortable with. Just that little movement right there, to me, I've always looked into mm-hmm. is that. That's how that whole relationship was, and that's how they built this thing to be mm-hmm. what it was. Yeah, like Janet, do Janet, team, right? but every now and then, right? Every now and then, we're gonna give you like, okay, hit there, hit, you know, we, we're gonna guide right. you throughout this whole thing, but you're gonna be. I, you, I, so. I, kind of, I also want to hear because, like I said, we've talked lyrics on this show before, and I think Jahan and Arthur are the ones that are probably least on the lyrical side. So I wanted to actually get you guys' take on, you know, not just everything I said, but just how you felt, you know, lyrically and how that played into what this album became. I guess for me, the strongest example of lyrics that I actually paid attention to, if not listening to the album, watching the video, was What Have You Done For Me Lately and Nasty. Because mm-hmm. Nasty tells a story, right? As does What Have You Done For Me Lately. Just visually, it really, like, certainly as a child, it really helped me understand, not that they're complicated lyrics, but it just, it kind of just sold the whole package to me. With What Have You Done For Me, I mean, her performance as well, it's like her, you know, the dance, the choreography, mm-hmm. and then, you know, just even her expression. She's like looking directly at the camera, looking directly at the dude she's talking to. Mm. And she's not nagging him. It's weird. I mean, I know that it kind of sounds like it would be the all-time classic, like, nag anthem. But she's not doing that. She's saying, look, I'm just telling you factually, Mm -hmm. you don't do this, you don't do this, you don't do that. I do this, I do this, I do this. And she's kind of sort of saying, all right, New Day, either get with it or don't get with it. Mm. She's not like, there's no begging there. There's no like, oh, why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? Et cetera. No, she's stating facts. Yeah. I love the line yeah, when she yeah. says, you know, you're dancing feet. We used to go dancing, now you're dancing feet off on my couch. It always reminded me, like it was a mirror image or yeah. kind of a parallel with Rakim's line scoop about, you know, you're scheming on the couch. What do you say? You're scheming on the couch. It's your feet up or whatever. And it was like, those yep. lines mm-hmm. always kind of played off of each other to me. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I, I, I agree with what Jay is saying. I think that, um, you know, th- there's a reason that this album starts with a manifesto. You know, she, it's mm-hmm. a spoken manifesto that she utters you know at the beginning of this album immense against a backdrop of music that almost sounds like the like an ominous type of tone like a movie like a almost like a movie score like something's about to happen yeah um, which i love and she kind of like you know lays it out you know this is an album about control and it's like i think that Absolutely. thematically and lyrically it's just my opinion that i think this that's why this album became the phenomenon that it did now staying power you can you can absolutely argue that the influence of this album musically on new jack swing and everything that followed it um musically i think that that's that that staying power is music you know what i'm saying but at the time and you know staying power lyrically as well too because it still it still resonates if you hear it you know 
those themes still resonate. But at that time, man, this was just like, I don't want to call it an anthem because I don't think it was. I think anthems can be didactic in that way or can be preachy. Um, it wasn't anthem. It was statement, you know, and there's a difference between those two well, things. I actually think nasty is anthemic. That's a word, right? Anthemic. It is today. Okay, great. Yeah, now, as, as long as we know what you're saying when you say it, it's a word. <laughs> yeah. Now, I remember, I mean, I, I remember, I remember nasty being like what the girls play. Mm-hmm. They, they play what, what, what have you done for me lately? But it was like nasty was, that was like, it, it, you know, uh, something it's like something changed in the lunchroom right but you, you know what I mean? <laughs> right but right. you never but you right. never felt um not you in particular arthur but i'm talking about just men yeah. in general young boys that you didn't feel threatened by any of that not that it was their job to make us feel not threatened but i'm saying there was an element of that almost that she made it relatable even to you as a, as a dude it was like i get what she's saying you know what i'm saying it yeah. was like the way yeah. it was presented and i think a lot of that has to do with and this is another element i think we should talk about really quickly a lot of that has to do with you guys brought up the Minneapolis sound, the Minneapolis aesthetic at that time. You know, there mm-hmm. was a playfulness and a reverence, a mm-hmm. tongue in cheek element that from all the way from Morris Day in the time to to what Janet was doing. It was like they're serious, but it's fun at the same time. So it was like when Janet yeah. is like, you know, um, it's Miss Jackson, if you nasty, it was like she was serious, but it was like it was yeah. so it was just cool. You know, and it was like yeah. that's that Minneapolis thing that they did on stage a lot you know when yeah. jimmy and jimmy jam and terry lewis are up there with the shades and they're jamming and they you know it was like yeah they're dead serious and these are some musicians doing some serious work while dancing at the same time which is crazy you know the choreography and the, and the musicianship at the same time but it, there was that playfulness that i think i only really saw i didn't see that in east coast artists i didn't see that uh-huh. in west coast artists i saw that in midwest and particularly in minneapolis artists is that am i the only one that saw that or do you guys did you guys feel no, that too no you feel it too because it's a sense of humility you know it's like yes we're serious about what we do but we don't want you to take it too serious and as as much as hip hop was having some type of influence on what they were doing you know you didn't want to be so serious like hip hop was so serious you know so you're trying to still blend in what it is that they were doing and I, I think a lot of times I don't know if even Jimmy or Terry would even admit this but I'm pretty sure at times they wanted to treat Janet like the female lead singer of time if time ever had one Mm-hmm. So we're going to mm-hmm. have that same type of dynamic that we get out of Morris and in, just sprinkling in Janet every now and then. I kind of saw that in you the know, control so, video, too. Like, like, like yeah, exactly. they had, yeah. you know, like, like she had she had people behind her, you know, or yeah, foundation. Exactly. Right. This is her being out front. Yeah. I mean, I think they both had that leadership thing going on. And Janet even had a slightly kind of sardonic Kind exactly. of thing that you could sort of see in Morris sometimes, like right, exactly. In, uh, in what have you done for me lately? Those kind of offhand comments that mm-hmm. she's making, right, um, under her breath, like who's right, who's wrong, ain't that a shame, mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. But I don't know, man. I mean, Morris's personality was like so dynamic. Oh mm-hmm. yeah, she definitely wasn't. Yeah, that was. Yeah, she wasn't to that. Mm-hmm. She yeah, wasn't but, to but that. But you know what? I mean, I think. But that, but that, she's, I think she doesn't have Morris's personality now. Yeah. Come on, man. I'm wasn't making a comparison like that. I'm just saying it. It has to stay within her personality. I don't know. It's, it's a different paradigm, though. I think there's a different paradigm, but that. But I think that, yeah, that par- there's that different paradigm, but there's that that thread of. So again, I don't see any other artists outside of you know Midwest Minneapolis doing that type of thing. You know, I don't see anybody else doing that. Like you said, kind of the sardonic statements, but then also the seriousness. Like, yeah, I really mean that, though. You know, what I'm saying like, call me Miss Jackson. You know, what I'm saying it was like. 
But you know, we're, we're but we're we're also talking about this in the in the in the scope of three songs, the first three songs, mm-hmm. because everything else that followed, not that it fell apart by any means, but everything else that followed, you had a mix. There was some romanticism. There was he doesn't even know that I'm alive. Yeah, the rest was lighter. That every time you know, when I think of you, you know, it's that's very different than what I would she's argue though. Kicking the I would, album add, off I would add, argue though, Arthur, that the or John, the pleasure principle is not lighter. If it may be airier, if we're going to be very right. into mm-hmm. semantics, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. the pleasure principle in this, I know we're going to talk about videos, but particularly because of the video, is like that. I, that mm-hmm. song is like, uh, like yeah, mm-hmm. that's a gut punch, like yeah. Well, I got to be honest. I mean, once the video happened for Pleasure Principle, I didn't know what the hell she was saying. She could say whatever the hell she wanted to. So I'll concede to your point. <laughs> did you guys Did you guys know that uh, Pleasure Principle wasn't written by Jimmy and Terry? Um, it was written and produced by Monty Moir, also of the time, actually. No, I mean, I, I mean, I knew that. It tripped me out when I first heard it. But yeah, I, I knew that. And I think that that is, you know, Monte, Monte Moore, why why that one song like how did because i know that someone else wrote um what is it uh he doesn't even know that i'm alive i think someone else wrote that song okay but yeah as far as writing and production there's only one song on there that's completely not jamming lewis why do you guys know how that happened like why is that well in the couple of years before that they worked together well if not together they worked on the same albums yeah yeah Delma houston howard johnson patty austin yeah, you'd often have a few tracks produced by Jimmy and Terry, and then a couple of tracks produced by Monty Moore. Alexander O'Neill's first album as well yeah. for Taboo Records. Mm-hmm. I don't know if basically they put him on or or whatever, but um, I think I mean all three of them got fired by Prince, right? From the time, yeah, three people got replaced in the time. Both keyboardists jamming Moore and Terry. Pleasure Principle is the densest song on that, if that's a word, mm-hmm. the most dense song on that album both lyrically and to me sonically it just feels like it's like a it's like you know what it's like a lot of these songs on this album feel like scoop like a heavyweight heavyweight fighter just like you know punchy like gut punches whereas mm-hmm. pleasure mm-hmm. principle feels like straight jabs like a re- just jab 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 you know what i'm saying it's like you just getting jabbed like repeatedly for like four minutes or whatever <laughs> i kind of beg to differ a little bit isaac i think control nasty certainly they felt a little bit more i mean control certainly felt more dense musically there's a lot of stuff going on in that track i i do th- i will say this about pleasure principle so many of the songs on that album have great bridges with control you've got the got my own mind i want to make my own decisions mm-hmm. with uh what have you done for me lately you've got i never asked for more than i deserve mm-hmm. you know it's the mm-hmm. truth but pleasure principle you've got that i know what you mean to me Oof. oh my god i love that part man It's sacrilege for me to admit after 30 some years that Pleasure Principle has always been my favorite song on this entire album. Oh, it's mine too. No, no, it's mine too. Mine too. How ironic yeah. is that though? Because, like you say, Jay, it's the one song not produced by Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis, and yet it's our favorite. Yeah, yeah, because we've, we've, we've talked, uh, you know, we've gone in and out about the videos too, but the videos were just a huge part of 
what made control so successful and uh um and I also think that uh, there was a certain identity that because, you know, we all know this audi- audience should too. you know, there was no Instagram, there was no Facebook. So the way that artists were, you know, were rolled out was always through magazines and by the mid 80s, you know, videos. Um, and so the look and feel really defined what the artist was trying to communicate, you know, with this album. All that being said, the, of the videos that Janet did, she, for the most part, maintained a certain continuity in what she was wearing, usually black. Um, and in the earlier, well, really, the notable exception being Pleasure Principle, she was always in something that was uh, that was, you know, fairly loose fitting. And um, Pleasure Principle being that, you know, she was in you know, guest jeans and a T-shirt. Oh, but, have mercy. Do you think, yeah, I mean, what kind of impact do you think that... Can I go first? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, go ahead. I'm like Arthur as a young heterosexual preteen boy. We're talking, we're talking boy. personal impact or we're talking like, cultural impact? My, my, my view, my, you know... Like my, not your personal bedroom <laughs> impact, please. <laughs> my, my, my life was shaped a little bit by that pleasure principle video too. I'm, I'm like mm-hmm. Arthur in that regard. And I think that... What can't be ignored is the transformation. Remember, with Control in the early videos, um, What Have You Done For Me Lately, Janet was a little heavy set, you know, heavier set, I should say. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is no disrespect to anybody with that, that, that body shape or that body form. This God is no, damn this perfect just, is what she was, bro. This is no, yeah, exactly. I, I knew you was going to say that, Jay. Um, this, is no, this is no commentary on that. This is just fact as far as the transformation that took place. So by the time you get to Pleasure Principle, she had been working out, you know, so I think later on in article in, in interview, she talked about it, um, that she wanted to lose some weight and she wanted to, mm-hmm. to change her body shape. And so mm-hmm. here she shows up in these, not only the tight jeans and the, in the t-shirt, her hair was different as well too. I think, I think she had, oh, she had right. changed her hair was different and mm-hmm. she's basically mm-hmm. got dancing. It's almost, I don't know when flash dance came out, but it had that kind of flash dance vibe to it as far as her alone in that like warehouse or wherever she was. Um, this that video was very different from what preceded yeah. it, and yeah. I believe was it the last video released or was it the fourth or what was it? it, I, it came, I'm almost it positive like, it was the last one. It feels like the I album had that, been out for a while at that point, and we yeah, were very because I thought that Control was the band. She was on stage in that way, um, and then what do you what have you done for me lately? And I don't remember the nasty video. Nasty, was she nasty was kind of like the same. Nasty came after. I mean, when I think of you, yeah. was number one. Nasty was number uh-huh. two. Control was number three. Control yeah. was the third one. Right. Nasty was like on a sound and stage, like she was in a supposed to be like in a city or something. You know, going from these. You know, that's yeah, right. Yeah, that's dude, right. I have like no memory of Nasty. Yeah. yeah, but you remember everything about Pleasure Principle, huh? Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to introduce something else too with these videos. Madonna was really known for her videos. And I don't think that there was any competition for Madonna in that space until these control videos happened. And where Janet became as much as a video artist as she was a recording artist. And I think we saw that continue into Rhythm Nation. Well, Arthur, are you just talking female artists? Because we can't ignore Thriller, of course, right? Or beat it. Uh, well, Even yeah, I am. You can't, ign- you can't ignore well, that. 
I'm I'm not so much talking about female artists as I am talking about Madonna specifically. Was it was it more so of control being again going back to what we were talking about originally the un- unapologetically unapologetic blackness of it in a video format, and I don't know if on MTV on the mainstream level we were getting that prior to control. Like you said, Jahan, yeah, we had Thriller, we had Prince, but I'm saying this level of um, God, we, we keep saying we're not going to do this, but we keep doing it. Blackness, you know, we just keep categorizing everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but this level of blackness, I don't know if I'm going back in my mind back to 85, 80 or 86, 87 um, on MTV. I think this opened up a new door for them. You know, I, I don't know if they were doing that, you know, prior to this, you know, because the Madonna videos were very much, even though, like Scoop said, they were being felt. The music was being felt everywhere. Her mm-hmm. videos, from what I remember, were very, those early videos were very um, not black, <laughs> for lack yeah. of a better term. So, yeah. I, I, you know, for the control video for Nasty um, and What Have You Done For Me Lately, I just don't, I don't, I don't see that happening on MTV before Janet, like, kicked that door open. No, I, I agree. And another thing about Mike, too, I mean, really, we're talking about three videos. By the time that control is released, we're talking about three Michael videos. It's uh, Billie Jean, Beat It, and Thriller, right? He he also did Say 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 with Paul McCartney. So mm-hmm. okay, let's you could say okay four. Very right? black, very black video. We had three years <laughs> since 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 Mike mm-hmm. and Mike didn't come back on some videos until a year eight to a year later right. with Bad in eighty seven. Mm-hmm. So I take Jahan's point, but I mean there was a you know there was a gulf, but Mike had the video game so tight. <laughs> that you know we kind of forget that because we would still see these Michael Jackson videos that were made in 82 and 83 all the way into 1986 and 87 mm-hmm. well I, I think one thing that because because what Mike did with the video was you know especially with Thriller obviously because it became a short film um, yeah I mean what he did you can't I mean it's again that whole alien con- con- you know concept that we come mm-hmm. back to on the show it's like he's an alien mm-hmm. so it's like it's not yeah. useful to compare him just because it's like it's just no there's no comparisons but what he did with the video i think was different than what janet did janet's video um aesthetic was an extension of the storytelling of her songs in a way that thematically going back yeah, to agreed. those themes mm-hmm. showing up in all black especially when you consider you know penny and the first two albums her public image prior to this mm-hmm. album showing up all black even the album cover you know what i'm saying which is a striking cover i mean i love that cover with the the lines and her her hair done yeah. the way it was but then showing up in the videos in all black and having Mike that is. again that minneapolis seriousness but also that playfulness and that irreverence all these things were taking the the themes of that album of independence and control and um uh confidence and just mm-hmm. extending it through the through the uh through the videos to the point where by the time we got to pleasure principle if before pleasure principle would have came out that or came out of the video i wouldn't have thought okay she can take the themes of this album to another level i would have said oh it's mm-hmm. going to be an extension of what we saw with control and nasty and what have you done for me lately pleasure principle video took the whole thematic element of this album to another degree to another level mm-hmm. you know of mm-hmm. independence mm-hmm. and confidence she wasn't even looking at the camera for most of that video i don't think it was just kind of like the camera wasn't even there for her what's so killing about that video is the vibe is like it's a rehearsal it's a private rehearsal yeah that we're kind of seeing and which we have seen um, which we see i don't know is it maybe a year later or, or around the same time when new edition did that with uh 
if it isn't love. Right. Yes. But it's different for Janet. She was alone. You know, she was by herself. She was alone. And it goes back to the type of music as well. Is it mm-hmm. if, if it isn't love, the pulse is a lot more in keeping with Jam and Lewis's earlier work. Whereas Pleasure Principle, it shares that same driving pulse that the rest of the work on the album had. And Arthur, you know, you were talking about Madonna and stuff and you were saying, you know, the hits from her album. Like she also had from that album, I think it was also Papa Don't Preach and La Is La Bonita, right? Yeah, that's it. Last, yeah, that second one you said. <laughs> <laughs> that one. Right, right. But, nice. but I got you. Those videos, Bonita and Papa Don't Preach, they didn't really add anything to, I mean, maybe Papa Don't Preach. It's, it's different. It's kind of was, it was like. They were representative. No, yeah, it was just visuals that kind of accompanied mm-hmm. the music. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're biased mm-hmm. as hell, mm-hmm. but with Pleasure Principle, uh, what certainly, I think certainly, what have you done for me lately? Nasty and Pleasure Principle. Mm-hmm. It's a bit more evenly balanced, the, the visual and the music, to the extent that you sort of, you can't really, Im- while you're experiencing it together, you can't really imagine one without the other. But you, but you get my point though, Jay, as far as like, we had already been... You know, again, I don't know why so many boxing analogies are in this this episode. But again, going back to the boxing analogy, we had already been knocked out by the time, you know, with the first three singles. Like she had already done mm-hmm. it. She had us. She For just sure. beat our ass. And I was, you would have never guessed Pleasure Principle coming out of left field and just mm-hmm. like hitting you, For like sure. just devastating you. Um, it's like, you you know, you remember, um, John, I know you'll feel me on this one. Um, in The Hustler, Paul mm-hmm. Newman movie. Let's get out of the sports analogies and get mm-hmm. something different. Um, Scoop, you, I don't know. If, I think you and More Arthur sports. have seen the hustle as well. <laughs> table sports, right? Table sports. Right. <laughs> but you remember when Jackie Gleason, when they're playing, him and Paul Newman are playing that first round of games, and they're playing yeah. like all day, yeah. all night, and it's like they're both, especially Paul Newman, is drunk. They, he just looks terrible, and Jackie Gleason yeah. goes in the bathroom and just cleans up, comes out looking dapper. And just he's like, you know, you ready to play some pool fast, Eddie? And it was like, oh, shit, what's mm-hmm. about? that's how Pleasure Principle was. It just came out of nowhere. It was like we had already yeah. been knocked out. And here comes this song and this 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 uh, video that just took everything to another level. I think to to really kind of to really knock that point home, uh, I was trying to think of another fight me- metaphor to elbow <laughs> that point home. <laughs> is Like back then, it was very likely for a lot of us not to have the album yet. Right. Like, you know, nowadays things drop on Spotify or they drop on a legal download. Good People, point. you know, iTunes, whatever. People cop it straight away. They hear that collection of songs or they hear that playlist or whatever, whatever format is presented to them. For many, many, many people, we just heard whatever was drip fed us, right? We just heard whatever mm-hmm. singles came our way. So a lot of the time, the first time you're hearing Pleasure Principle, is seeing the video mm-hmm. right good point right right you know if you're watching top of the pops or the chart show or whatever that's yeah so it's it's very impactful in that way i'll, I'll just chime in to say this i think at the time we had to look at when pleasure principle to jahan what he was saying when it was released and if you look at the videos done before that um you know like you all said earlier pleasure principle was one of the few songs that was not the coming from the center of jam and lewis it was still a flight time record. It's still a flight time song, but it wasn't from that core. So at the time that it was going to be released, they were going to shoot a video around it. She had gotten another director to do it, and they wanted to have a different mm-hmm. feel to it. So they had brought in what is Dominic Cena actually did that video. Dominic Cena, if you look at Janice's catalog, wound up doing the bulk of the videos for mm-hmm. that and for 1814. Mm-hmm. 
That right. became her go-to. She built a relationship because of what they established through Pleasure Principle. Because at the time, they had done, you know, control. They had done nasty. They had, you know, kind of done a variety of different videos. But because this song was different, they wanted a whole different look visually for this song, especially at the time when it was either the fourth or fifth release from this album. It was almost a year removed from the time the album right. was dropped that this came out. So they were looking for something different. And what wound up happening, why this video stands out, you know, why this song stands out is because, to what Jahan said, we were being drip-fed. Mm -hmm. And at this time, they're like, we can't do the same thing a year from now. We have to show a growth of an artist, even though it's the same material. So when they got Dominic Cena in there to shoot, they said, like, we want something totally different, totally different feel than what Mary Lambert did, what two mm -hmm. you know, on the first couple of videos, what Justin Temple did, or, you know, on, on All Right and all the other. We want something different. And Dominique came in and built a relationship with Janet that visually is as close to a relationship that she had with Jimmy Jam mm -hmm. and Terry Lewis. Because no other director has done as many uh, videos as yeah, Dominique has done you. with Janet. That's a great point. I didn't know any can of that. You guys, can you guys think of any other artists like Scooby like those that was an excellent point as far as like you know the need to change after the album being out for so long can we think of any other examples of that because I mean artists work especially artists of that ilk work so hard to create a, an, an aesthetic for a project can you think of any other artists that you know a year after the aesthetic is established they switch it up for that project for that same project I can't think of anybody can you guys think of someone um, I was trying to actually I, go in my mind and think of a Madonna example because she seems like somebody who would do that, but I can't think of an example. Let's put it out. She did it. She did it project to project, though, right? Prince yeah. did it project to yeah, project. but within the same yeah. project, I can't think of anyone. We should put it out to the listeners. I think somebody, Michael, if y'all know somebody, who, if you guys got somebody to nominate who's done that. No, I think Mike. Because look at look at look at bad. Then the way you make me feel. Then smooth criminal. Yeah. all three are completely right. Mm, and that's the thing. especially settings, the way you make me feel. That was more like the way you make me feel. The right. closest yeah, thing to normal awesome. Michael's you were gonna get at that time. Yeah, but they're different settings. But they're still. I, I don't. I don't. I don't get completely different feel from those. You know what I'm saying? It's just like Mike mm -hmm. in different clothes and different. He's telling different stories. It is yeah, right, right, right. Mm -hmm. I mean, Holt Mike's is. Is it fair to say Mike's aesthetic was dress up? Exactly. Yeah. It's like I'm. I'm a gangster in this video. Oh, now I'm. I'm. Now I'm a street. The oh, okay. Playboy okay. or whatever, okay. you know, it's like okay. he was just different characters. It wasn't like different theme, you know. It's like because you never really bought that 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 this was what he was all about right now this year. <laughs> right. This was what right, he was right, all right. about. You never really <laughs> kind of got that. You never mm, thought you know, Mike was actually uh, a gangster, <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> right. You. I mean, it's, to your point, Jay. Though, yeah, you got that from Janet. Like that's her. You know, you definitely got that. She, there is a truthfulness there. Is it a coincidence that pleasure principle? she's on her own I don't think it's a coincidence at all nah mm, good point again I think it goes to all the videos they had done before and how she had visually worked with a couple other directors and when she got with you know Dominic they're like we gotta do something different I think it's that it's just to separate from what they had done right, before right but to, 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 to... I really do and but, but, to, but to Isaac's point about her going through the uh, metaphysical change mm -hmm. of her body mm -hmm. you know at mm -hmm. some point show the work that's involved in this so I think there was something thematic there no seriously I think there's something there that they wanted to at least make that a part of their storytelling in this. Because they couldn't tell their story when the album dropped and they were doing the, you know, uh, um, when I, not when I think of you, but um, what have you done for me lately video. They couldn't do that then, but she was still going through a transformation. And visually, 
they wanted to show that. What's the best way mm-hmm. to show that and mm-hmm. separate ourselves from all the other videos we had done before? And also, let's separate you from everybody else and just do you. Well, I, I would be interested. I would be interested in hearing if that was if that was if that idea. And who knows? You know, it's been thirty some yeah. years. They probably can't remember. But if that idea came from Janet or came from the director that you mentioned, mm-hmm. Scoop, or if it mm-hmm. came from somebody else, because it is a very strong storytelling point that after three videos of you with other people, we're really going to drive home the point that. You got this, you know, so you are and also here telling by the yourself. story because I mean, yeah. Pleasure Principle, and, she's not and, really telling the story per se. Even, I think she even, is telling even, the story. But it's in a dance song, too. That's why I think it's important we have to understand. It's in a dance. Usually, do you see somebody in a dance song do something solo? Yeah. In a slow song, yeah. Mm-hmm. But a dance yeah. record it, it, to be exactly. solo, that's, yeah. I mean, I think, Scoop, I, I, it's interesting what you said about, you know, your theory on the genesis of it because romantically, I always kind of just assumed that was the way i just assumed that basically she was rehearsing they saw it and just said you know what this is enough let's just shoot this this is you know we don't need anything else i was kind of just romantically assumed that i guess mm, it could be but i mean i think isaac makes a great point about the body transformation that she was going through and you know it goes to the larger point about what the videos did to not just the visual appeal of Janet jackson but to the sex appeal that they were going to sell mm-hmm. her as because of not only the way girls were feeling her, but the way guys were gravitated to her because of the sex appeal she was bringing mm-hmm. to the front. You know, uh, you all you all were young when this shit came out. You know what I'm saying? You all were dealing with eight and ten year olds. You do this. You know what? You do this on every show. You ain't been your age forever, motherfucker. <laughs> every show, you like, y'all were young. This meant something different for me. It's like, you were a kid but at some does. point. Damn I mean, I, <laughs> well... <laughs> no, I was, but not for what we're talking about. I'm That's just, what fuck, I'm I'm just fucking with you, but it about, would be funny if we were talking about some 1950s shit, and you was like, "Yeah, when I this this meant something different to me." It's like everything is like right. every every song, every every episode, you do that. But now I feel you. You were you were no, a little, but, but I, I, this argument you and I have had for years. I mean, we had a big one at my house uh-huh. one time, and it's the same thing. I think at certain, especially at this particular stage, when we're talking about the difference between an 18 year old and an 18 year old. And experiencing the exact same things, if we keep bringing these conversations up, you all have a totally different experience. And all I try to do is bring that to the table because I get the it. experience y'all living through is no, not the I'm only a, one. I'm a thousand, we I'm a thousand percent with you on this. Way. I'm just fucking with you because if we do do an episode about some shit that came out in the 50s, I don't want to hear this argument. <laughs> I want to hear this well, angle. <laughs> I mean, I would no, submit. You, you I would submit that that I was I was like ground zero at the target audience because I was 15, 16. Mm-hmm. Man, look, I was at a, I was at an HBCU. Look, <laughs> I was at an HBCU with a female population of eleven to one. Uh-huh. Every Janet Jackson had a direct impact in a way that half of the women there were already Janet Jackson before Janet right. was there because they had that right. attitude. Right. You know what right. I'm saying? And then the other half that wasn't there, they more right. into Janet Jackson. <laughs> This is gonna sound so. This is gonna sound so ridiculous, but we've all felt something like this in our lives. I know what you mean, Scoop. You felt like you could have dated her, right? You felt like in the right scenario, on the right day, with the right temperature, with the Sun, right stars sunshine aligning. Sunshine in the right way. I can make this happen. I feel you. And, and like, we couldn't have that. I, mm. I understand. You know, I was it's, in it's, warm-up it's, mode, dude. I was like in prep mode. I, I went to a different barbershop. <laughs> I picked the same. I picked a completely different picture off of the wall. You know, you know, with the poster with the, with the 36 squares of how brothers, what, right, what you could box, do. The, I said, no, I don't want three yeah. no more. I don't want number three. I need 27. <laughs> 27A. That looks pleasure principle worthy. 
exactly 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 <laughs> it's, it's 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 really you know what it's really really interesting though because and this is another show maybe we should do this show but it is interesting how a song you can pick any song and to scoop's point it's what you just said arthur you said Jahan. yeah it means something to you if you're of a certain age but then conversely it definitely means something to you when you are you know prepubescent you know what I'm saying or you're just becoming aware of women for sure and you see the pleasure principle video that's going to shape you in a way differently than if you've already had these established thoughts in your head and you're 20 something years old as opposed to when those thoughts are just starting to form for men and women mm-hmm. I saw you know I saw Apollonia in Purple Rain when I was much you know uh, long long right, before my teenage right, years right and right. that had an impact on me you know, I'm sure. Yeah, in fact, I'm, but I I'm never sure in my, I me. never in my life thought that I would be at the mall and just run into a woman wearing lingerie. <laughs> wearing <laughs> you know lingerie. <laughs> right. It was, it was entirely right. plausible. It was beyond. I mean, it was actual fact that I would be at the mall and see Janet. a girl dressed. Yeah, it looked like Janet. And again, to keep harping on my point, thematically and, and lyrically, she was the girl next door. She was around the West. She was when she said it's Miss Jackson. You know, if you know that that was the shot heard around the world. You know what I'm saying? That was that was it. You know, it was like, yeah, that's I'm sure that every every dude understood what she was saying, but every woman was like, Yeah, that's that's what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. Um it's my name is not baby. Right. You you inject my last name when you speak to me, but you gotta act a certain way in order to get that. So just as dudes were trying to emulate MCs. Yeah, yeah. So we're trying to be we're trying to be run. We're trying to be Rakim. We're trying to be LL. You know what I'm saying? We're out there trying to emulate what they're bringing to the table because we connect with that. Women were doing the exact same thing. White women were trying to be, at that age group from 18 to 24, they were trying to reenact Madonna's entire life. They're doing the same thing with Janet Jackson. Mm-hmm. You know, And this is what you had to deal with face-to-face, not just from an aesthetic standpoint, but from a human connection standpoint. It was the attitude. It was the ideology. It was the behavior. It was everything bought on by not just lyrics, but bought on with what they were seeing visually because these artists were putting it out there and that was the thing to be. But it's interesting mentioning Madonna and, you know, Arthur mentioned uh, Apollonia 6 and Vanity 6 a minute ago, both arguably leaning a little bit more obviously into sexuality and representation, right? Which is... Which which, which wasn't the case with even even Pleasure Principle, jeans and a t-shirt. Ain't like you know, it's not. I argue, yeah. That's why I'm, I'm argue with you on that one, Jay. I'm argue with you on that one though, because I think the pleasure principle is gloriously, wonderfully a sexual statement. I love how it's a very, very sexual presentation, bro. Intensely attractive. I'm just saying it's not that lingerie kind of obvious, exactly. Right. But it's no now, less sexual. Yeah, I mean, there's a difference between sexy and sexualized, right? He's talking about presentation. He's not necessarily talking about. That's what I'm trying to say. And I'm, I'm agreeing. I'm agreeing with you. I'm actually I'm agreeing with you. I said I was arguing against you, but I'm actually agreeing with you. Yeah. And I think that's what makes it so great is that it is a girl next door mm-hmm. sexualized, but not mm-hmm. in a way that's saying I'm offering you this and mm-hmm. I'm, for the male gaze. It's basically mm-hmm. like this is my sexuality and I own this. Mm-hmm. And it was like that shit was perfect. Because I'll, I'll submit that the when I think of you video was a deviation to try to present her sexually. Her top was cut much lower. You could see cleavage. 
you know, her hair was done and it's if you know, in a very in a very different way than it had been for nasty or, or control or what have you done for me lately. You know, and it didn't work. Or at least it didn't work for me. Did that that preceded I didn't, I didn't, I didn't believe that Janet Jackson. I can't even remember that video. Uh, yeah, I'm barely remembering that. That preceded and I believe Pleasure Principle. That right? could be a reason for it. It's like it doesn't you know, but but Pleasure Principle, it seemed like that was a completely clean slate. Scoop is shaking like every, his head. You know, everything else was for the video. This is this is actually what I look like. Scoop, when you shaking your head, what's up? It's just amazing how the other videos you all forget. You all are just so locked in. I, I, you know, I, I, I vaguely remember when I think of you, and I remember feeling it was a little goofy. I, I remember thinking it was a little goofy. Was she was she bopping around with her friends or something like that in that video and giggling no, a lot? No, that was the one where she was like, she she was. It was basically like she was on Adult Sesame Street. And there was all this weird activity happening. Yeah, you know, there exactly. was like a homeless person over here, yeah, and then yeah. there were like three guys with trumpets walking down the stairs. Exactly. But wait, let's let's be honest. If you listen to the original sound of when that song comes on, it's a happy, upbeat Absolutely. feel. So they're gonna try to match that, it right? Is very so it's much like, so. right. So you know, you don't want the video to look totally different and no, no. be totally not connected to the sound of the song. So you know, it, it connected to the sound. I agree with that. That didn't work for me. Yeah, I'm just contrasting work. how that that was that was the one video where Janet was presented in in a, a, a sexualized misogynistic way mm. as best as they could. Interesting. You know, I'm gonna go in a little bit then on um, when I think you. I I do like the song. I I I, I really I like mean, that song. But yeah, yeah, I would yeah, say too. it's a precursor. I feel like. Love Would Never Do Without You is a is spiritually connected to that song. And I would say Love mm-hmm. Would Never Do Without You is the the better version or the it was almost like when I think of you was I like agree. a progress a progressive um mm-hmm. step I towards agree. that. And I really appreciate Love Would Never Do Without You a lot more than I than I appreciate um As when a I song think of you. or Yes, I'm saying as a song. I'm sorry, I switched from the video, just looking at the oh, song okay. as the I, I feel like when I think of you as a precursor to that song and, and love would never do without you is the um the better version the more the more fulfilled mm-hmm. um vision of that song right um, right R- rhythm nation right. has three of those right it's got escapade it's got love will never do and it's got all right or you know those those kind of that happy go lucky mm-hmm. kind of thing yeah. that you're talking about so I, mm-hmm. i'm worried that you know i know we want to get into slow jams in a minute but i'm kind of worried because I'm, I'm i feel john's like concern now <laughs> it's like do we really want to talk about slow jams i would be worried but it's funny because we're talking about all the sexualization and she further owns her sexuality by saying, yeah, I'm this, I'm that. I know you think I'm beautiful, but hold on. Let's wait a while. How mm-hmm. did you guys, I mean, when, when did that video drop or that song drop? That was a single that came out when after or before pleasure. No, actually let's wait a while was earlier. Let's wait. Let's wait a while was January 87. Pleasure principle wasn't until uh, uh, May of that year. So there was some distance between. In fact, I think I actually think that Diamonds came out, the Herb Herb Alpert Diamond song with Janet Herb and uh, Lisa right, Keith. Right, right, right. Mm-hmm. Lisa Keith. Which, yeah. yeah. Lisa Keith, sound of flight time, man, vocally. Mm-hmm. So four yeah, dudes, and when nobody has anything to say about, let's let's wait a while, huh? Oh, well, I mean, I'm yeah, ready no, to get to it. I'm ready to get to it. You asked about the time in the winning. Got real quiet. Let's wait a while. Crickets. <laughs> Pleasure principal brothers getting different haircuts, all that stuff. Let's wait a while. Crickets. Before it's too late, let's wait a while. Before 
what was the AIDS climate at that time? It was just coming out into the forefront. Oh yeah, this right? is definitely re- yeah, this is definitely reflective of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that was. Uh, I mean, jeez, man, eighty six. That's what that that was something that everybody was talking about without actually talking about. See, it. I, I've never connected those two with this song. I just, <laughs> I, I'm just like, look, not at all, not at all. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm reacting to Isaac. He laughed. He laughed at me. I'm I'm laughing because Les Way Hua is clearly like responsive to the AIDS epidemic. His scoop is like never connected. Never. So I'm just I'm just picturing Scoop in '86, '87, like AIDS. What's you know what I'm saying? Like nah, nah. You you totally missing what I'm saying. <laughs> hold on, hold on let, 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 me, let me clear this up real quick. I'm thinking of it as not the video when Let's Wait a While. I'm talking about as the mm-hmm. album goes on. Mm-hmm. There's mm-hmm. no mm-hmm. AIDS connection in the song itself for me to relate to. And I always mm-hmm. thought it was a tease song. But teasing, I hate to say it, but teasing is part of the sexuality. It's part of what brings you into Janet Jackson. That's, you know, if, if you, to me, if you look at the album as a whole, this is part of the narrative I'm setting. I'm in control of my situation. This is it. And this goes along with it. To be fair, Janet continues that narration. Yes, throughout her entire damn career. With, with uh, Someday is Tonight, the closer for Rhythm Nation. Because she, she, she literally refers back to It's a waiting. sequel. Sequel song. Everything mm-hmm. we're doing is going to be on my terms. It fits the entire narrative of the album. Hmm. Okay, but is there a difference between saying my agreement to have sex with you is going to be on my terms is there a difference between that and teasing i do think there is a difference it's just a matter of at the time how you interpret it and you know what to be honest with you you know you can have both answers at the exact same time Mm. but i I think there's also and, and this is you know not necessarily just for females i think just as human beings in particular or in general there's also a confliction like i don't want to do this but i do want to do this and i think that I don't know if that comes through in uh, um, Let's Wait a While. I think she's very definitive. Like, no, we both need to be because she says we both need to be in a better place or we both need to be stronger, um, which I thought was really interesting because it's not just about me. Yeah, that's real. It's about both of us need to be in a better place before we go yeah. take it that far because she puts the stakes on the table, too, which is interesting. If you're going to make an argument to a dude, like we need to wait, this is or not an argument, but you're going to present your case or your your reasons why you we need to wait is really interesting to put it in the context of if we go too far, it's going to fuck it up for both of us. Not just me. It's like it's going to mess up with something that could be great, 100%. which which is a, a a good twist on that. Like, you know, Man, yeah, you know, we need to wait. Like the, that's not like the bullshit your parents tell you before they beat you. Like, this is going to hurt me as much as it hurts you. Come on, man. <laughs> I'm not falling Scoot for that. Scoot was like, I want mine right now. No, it ain't like I want mine right now. I'm, just gonna, I'm not just going to let you tell, sell me on the bullshit that this is for the best mm. for the both of us. But what I was going to say is that in the following song, because we said that this is the penultimate jam, and in the next song, which is also a slow song, Funny How Time Flies, which ends the album, right? That's the last mm-hmm. song of the album. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There's that ad, there's that spoken part at the end where she's basically like, you know, I have to go. But she's basically like, you know, I don't want to go. She, I don't think she says I don't want to go, but she basically is lingering. Um, and you mm-hmm. get kind of the impression that something happened. You know, at least that's what I get when I hear it. So, and she's speaking French. And she's speaking French, which is always bad. <laughs> <laughs> bad for the waiting, right? 
But there seems to be, to go back to what we were talking about earlier, the tension, the tension in the music, there does seem to be a little bit of tension sexually, which actually is obviously released in the next album when it's like, okay, now we, now I'm ready. You know, tonight is, someday is tonight. Um, but there is that tension, I think, between those two songs a little bit. Funny How Time Flies and... But they both fit within the control narrative, though. Mm-hmm. I mean, they fit within the control theme of the entire record. Mm-hmm. Okay, Okay, we've done a deep dive on this, but let's be honest. It's, it's, you, you're, we're dealing with a project where they're trying to sell a woman's independence, but at the same time, preserve her innocence. They're trying to do this visually, they're trying to do this vocally, they're trying to do this musically. So in this context of telling the narrative of this album, there are going to be these conflicts. It's it's a fine line. It's, 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 it's walking the fine line between having it both ways and you know taking a stand for quote-unquote what's right yeah but you ain't like nobody is man woman nobody is like one way all their life right uh with all people no but we're Mm. just talking about one project we don't know like control isn't necessarily nah but control isn't necessarily you know a documentation or a letter of a relationship with one specific person right we don't know that these are songs that she's drawn from her experiences Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. you know an experience with one person is like yeah i right now at this particular time in my life with you i think it's wisest to wait before we go too far before it's too late i know but i think you're personalizing it too much my experience with you is like i just can't get enough of you and every time i'm with you time just flies and i just don't know where it went and please don't leave i don't think it's i don't i mean i think it's just different representations of somebody um, different experiences. See, I think mm. that it's them trying to, like I said, hold, put her out as one thing, but still hold on to something at the exact same time. And those things are really at two at different ends of the spectrum. I don't know, Scoob. I, I think I, I feel what you're saying, but I do. I think that they're intertwined. I, th- I think that her independence is caught up with her decisions to. And I don't think innocence is the right word. I don't even think that's what we should be associating with. The decision not to have sex. I don't think that's. Yeah, I don't we think already agree that they tried that, that penny innocence, that innocence that she had on good times. That Janet Jackson coming into this project was still important for them to maintain some of that. Do, do we agree on that? Yeah, right? but well, yeah. I mean, I'd be splitting. I'd be splitting hairs to say that this is Charlene. This is this is this is Charlene Janet. This ain't. This isn't Penny Janet. Yeah, I, I would say. I would say a sweetness. It's not innocence. Janet was sweet all through her career, no matter how sexual she got. She was always, she was sweetly sexual. That's just who she is as a person, I think. If it's anything other than a songwriting message that they just felt was right for the time because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. of AIDS, right? I think you can't ignore that. Mm-hmm. Um, or whether it was, I'm in control. I'm telling this bozo that he's a deadbeat and he hasn't done anything for me recently. I'm telling these guys that they're too rude to me on the street when I see them. And I'm telling, you know, I'm telling these guys that, no, listen, it's not always on your terms. You know, you wait and it's when I'm ready too. I think it, I think it's, it's all part of the same circle. Yeah, I, I, <clears throat> I do think it's, it's part I'll of the same it. story. And I, I'll buy it. Okay. And I think that she, um, it was her saying, you know, yes, I think there was a very, uh, an, an honesty about it. You know, I do want to lay down with you. I do want to be with you, you know, but it's just not r- the right time. It's too soon. And that's that's one thing I think we've kind of circled around. We haven't really hit on the head is the honesty of this album. And prior to this, um, not to bring everything back to Marvin, but there is that element of, you know, blunt honesty, you know, within some of these this songwriting um, that is, uh, you know, 
I think you know she she did it again with Rhythm Nation and the later the latter albums, but nothing to this level. I think of honesty. I don't I don't think that this. I think this is her most honest album. I don't know if you guys would agree with that, but I don't think she ever hit the honesty that she she expressed in this out even even in someday is tonight felt again it's a sequel song which i think is dope which is really uh, really i don't know how many times that's happened but that's a that's a really great concept but it it felt kind of like not forced but it felt kind of like yeah the next album let's put that on there you know what i'm saying i guess that is forced but you know it felt that way yeah, but mm-hmm. you got to look at the situations as well i think you know part of the reason this album may be so much more vulnerable and much more honest is because you look at the place she was coming from when they did this album. True. You know, Janet has basically maintained there hasn't been that big of an adjustment on who she is since the Control album to who she is to this day. So Control was more urgent. It was, well, I mean, look at the change. Look look at what she was before this album and how drastically they tried to change. And if if, if you are an artist and they're trying to shape you into the artist that's still connected, that you're connecting your music to who you are at this point in your life, you're going mm-hmm. to see that drastic change. And we established that earlier. They, she wanted, she was in a, going into a new phase of her life and she wanted to express that musically. So part of that is being much more honest because mm-hmm. of the transition that you're going through. You know, now, from the, there's not that much transition in Janet Jackson's life between Control and Rhythm Nation. You know, mm-hmm. we could go and then to the next album, to the next album. She kind of stays, she establishes who she is and then just grows from that. From control, she has grown from control, but she hasn't changed that much from control. You look at the Dream Street album and the Janet Jackson, and come on, man, that's just, we're looking at almost two different people. So that's mm-hmm. where that honesty comes from, and I think that's mm-hmm. why Control is more honest than anything else she's ever done because they they wanted to get into who the person she wanted to become, and this album helped her become that person. And when you do that, there's a lot more honesty that's going to be put in place. A lot more. Mm-hmm. And you're going to try to build mm-hmm. off that. And at the same time, from a musical and, I hate to say, a business standpoint, now you have something you want to build off of, not something you want to build away from. Control mm-hmm. is something they wanted point. to build off of. Everything she, else I mean, she had done before that, they wanted to build away from. So I think you have mm-hmm. to keep that in mind when you're going into doing the second studio album. And it all transpires from there. After that, uh, we have to build off rhythm. Maybe you have something. You have a format now that we have to build off of. Mm-hmm. Just to ask the basic question, what do you think is the stronger suite to close? Let's Wait a While, Funny How Time Flies, or the trio Lonely, Come Back to Me, Some Days Tonight? Because for me, it's Rhythm Nation. I think Rhythm Nation is a stronger closer. Um, I'm on the other end of that, so. I don't know. I mean, maybe it's because of just that flight time sound that was happening post New Editions album and... um, uh, like Karen White's album, you know what I'm saying? Like, uh, just I don't know. Yeah. No, I think funny how time flies, mm-hmm. and let's wait a while. Yeah. I, mm-hmm. I just, just just the the mm-hmm. back to back of funny how time flies and let's wait a while. It's just, it just like and those are just two independently strong slow jams. You know, so for me it was yeah. it, it was it was those two. I agree 100. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I agree 100. I mean, funny how time flies. I think it's just such a is just a much better composition to me mm-hmm. of the five songs that's to me the, the, the best but I think Let's Wait A While is very powerful for all the reasons that we discussed previously you know the, the messaging around it etc I'm not sure that anything on the Rhythm Nation portion has that I will say that Come Back To Me has a killing bridge mm-hmm. that all my life I've waited part mm-hmm. it's real nice and it kind of references actually the I Want You To in the chorus love it oh. 
overall, I mean, it's nice and it's a nice close and, you know, they do it well. And if you love that sound, as, as we all do, you're not going to be disappointed. But I, I don't think it matches to control. This is, this is a difficult one. I would say I do. I, I, I do like the fact that, you know, I did, you know, uh, Rhythm Nation does feel a little bit more planned and, you know, thought out intentional than or than a control. And I like the unintentional feel. Um, I mean, control obviously is intentional, but you know what I'm saying? The, the more organic feel. I will say that it is interesting to end an album that begins on a very, you know, what's going on, socio, socio-political, um, you know, point of view. It is interesting to end that album on some, oh, by the way, um, you know, after we talk politics all day, you remember, you know, a couple of years ago mm-hmm, <laughs> when I told mm-hmm, you, you know, we're going to mm-hmm. wait a while. That's tonight. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's, that's, you know, so it's like, can you imagine being that brother? Like, your, bro. <laughs> your mind is bro. all focused on some, you know, black fist in the air type stuff. You go, you, you right over there. And then all of a sudden you get home that night. And she's like, by the way, you know what I'm saying? We're going to do that thing we talked about. That's, that's tonight. <laughs> so I, I thought it was really interesting to end the album that way. And I think that I agree with Jahan, that bridge and, um, um, lonely mm-hmm. combat. That's, that's just, this that's beautiful. So I would say that there's something about the rhythm nation closer that kind of, I don't know that hits me in the heart a little bit more, but commercially from, if I put my A&R hat on and my, you know, record exec hat on, I don't think there's been too many slow jams that were as commercially appealing as let's wait a while. I mean, that is like a, that's an all time, you know, top, whatever, uh, mainstream slow jam, you know, and that doesn't happen too often. So I, I think that that's mm-hmm. the strong and funny how time flies kind, kind of sneaks up on you because it was the song I'm trying to remember that was they made a video for that song, right? That was was that the one no, where they no. were in? Okay, what You're was the one? Let's wait a while. They're on the was, roof, and she's with uh, my man from Last Dragon. No, I'm thinking of one. Maybe it's from Rhythm Nation. I'm thinking of one where she's in Paris um, with the oh, dude. Oh, that's come back think, to me. Is that come back to me? Okay, okay, yeah. okay, okay. That's what I'm thinking of. Anyway, um, I maintain. I think that those, you know, the closer to control is much more. Is stronger to use Jay's word, um, mm-hmm. and it, but to me, I'm I'm saying that from a commercial point of view. Like I, if I got to go with something to chart, I'm going with those. Um, but there is something sweet and kind of unexpected about the end of Rhythm Nation. Mm-hmm. So I'm part. And I mean, music has changed so much too, because we're three years in between these albums, and we by this time, by the time we get to Rhythm Nation, we've already had Guy Keith Sweat, we've had I'll Be Sure's albums. I mean, this is a lot of stuff that happened. So my palette and I didn't care much for the first half of Rhythm Nation mm. I didn't really buy her as the political concept. activist political yeah mm-hmm. I didn't I didn't buy that um I bought that she I bought that she meant it I bought well yeah but you know I'm coming we had three public enemy albums by that time so it was like <laughs> like you ain't coming like that <laughs> yeah you're not right <laughs> You, right, what you talking about? It was very much, Arthur, to your point, it was very much a militance for the mainstream. You know, like we can all get a we can all get along. And we, you know, we're all like we share all these things. Let's just stop fighting and all get along. And that wasn't it was MTV ready. Exactly. Yeah. It was acceptable by the mainstream because it wasn't some, you know, uh yeah. black steel in the hour of chaos. You know, it wasn't that. So that's that's a good point, Arthur. But you know what also, Arthur though, to your point about the error it was changed a lot of change but she was still firmly in that era where you had to as a black artist especially you mm-hmm. had to have a slow jam on your album you know what i'm saying you had to prove right. yourself in that that area 
in order right. to be respected at a certain level. That's a good point. Whereas now you don't need to do that. You can go straight. Let me have, you know, 10 straight fast songs and maybe one mid tempo. But back in the late 80s, you still had to have a slow, at least one. And I wonder if that's mm-hmm. if, if it wasn't for that, would we have gotten some days tonight? You know, or would have not would that and I been included with the most with this kind of the mid tempo been as, as as slow as she got? Could have been. Mm. Well, it's all it's a, it goes to your earlier point at the beginning of the show about you know connecting with the black audience. If you're going to make black music, especially at that time, you could not do anything without having some some type of slow song in there. I mean, that's just how we. I mean, Teddy Riley damn near created or perfected. Uh, you know, New Jack City, which is a dance music genre, but still mm-hmm. in the middle of guy shit, let's chill. You know, you had to have that in there. Look, you know, you had LL yeah. Cool J yeah, had yeah. to do slow songs. Mm-hmm. It was a part of being a part of black musical culture. You couldn't separate yourself from that. Mm-hmm. Even comparison mm-hmm. aside, like, they're good songs. I mean, yeah. Come Back to Me, it's been covered by Ramsey Lewis. It's been covered by, or not covered, but referenced by Marquise Hill, who I really dig. Funny How Time Flies, it's been covered by Stanley Clark, it's been covered by Robert Glasper. You know, it's like these are... These yeah, are they're great compositions. Exactly. Before we leave this section really quick, I know we need to wrap up, but just I wanted to get your opinion on this in particular, Jay. The computerization, for lack of a better term, of control, as you yeah. know, as this is a programmed album, basically, yeah. um, which was different than from the landscape at the time, right? I mean, most of the time it was bands, mm-hmm. you know, how do you feel about mm-hmm. that? Is that, you know, I mean, because that that uh, arguably that opened the door, right? Or that ushered in a lot of that type of yeah. stuff, right? So how do, how do you feel about yeah. that? That's when, that's why I was querying the description of Funky for this album. Um, I think it's very, very tight. I don't know if I would call it Funky for that very reason, that everything is in a particular place on it rhythmically. I do think that it's, you know, it's one of my favorite albums of all time, um, more than much of the stuff that we discuss on this show, even. You know, Herbie Hancock, he said, you have to plug the machine in. You know, people blame machines, but you've got to plug it in, right? You've got to play it. Something in Jam and Lewis's hands versus producer ABC's hands, you'll, you'll come out with a different result. And as we've talked quite a bit throughout this episode, these are great compositions. You know, you take... You take away the the synthesis, you take away the drum machines and the programming, particularly with Jam and Lewis, like the hallmark of that kind of 80s flight time period is they've got really nice chord progressions. The changes are very distinctive to their particular style, you know, more so than L.A. Babyface, more so than Teddy Riley or any of the other, you know, competitors at that time. And they married that, they married that aspect or that style with the kind of more harder edged aesthetic using these machines, using these tools. But you didn't, it, that aspect wasn't absent. So I don't know if this answers your question. It's an example of how it should be done if you're using these tools. And I don't necessarily think that it's fair to blame them for misuse of the tools by far less capable people and far less musical people afterwards. Because whatever happens, Jam and Lewis, they never, you know, they wrote songs. You know, whether it started on the DX7 or whether it started on the Oberheim or whatever, or whether it started on the 808, they wrote songs. You know, they had a chord progression in mind. They built that. And you take that out of these songs and all you call is a drum beat and some cool patches. 
it would have happened anyway. You know, they didn't invent the machines. They don't own Roland or Yamaha. So, yeah, I think it's a, it's a great example of it done well, and I don't think we can blame them. All right, let's move to the roundtable. So this is a tough one. What other 80s R&B production pioneers could have given Janet gold? Mm. Uh, and how would that have altered history for the better or worse? I want his scoops. Well, since Jahan uh, acknowledged me as going first, um, I keep going back to thinking about what was around at that time and uh, specifically looking at Janet as an artist and where she wanted to go and once again how she wanted to be different than what she was perceived as and what she had presented herself as or, or has, as others have presented her before. And, you know, you're talking about a young individual who wants to find and is still in search of her own independence. And yeah. my answer is Tina Marie. Um, huh. Because, you know, even, even though Jahan hmm. wrestles with the, the funk aspect, maybe, I'm, I'm getting what he said about Control or Janet, mm-hmm. you know, with Jamie Lewis. Um, but I still think there's, there's at the core of what was being done, and maybe that's because mm-hmm. of the way I look at Jamie Lewis, their music is mm-hmm. still rooted in funk. Tina was a phenomenal funk artist, and people still think that Rick James produced all of her music, which he didn't. She did. She mm-hmm. was the producer mm-hmm. of her music, and she was more talented. Come, she was more talented than he was, I think. Basically, right. So. If you take Janet trying to find an independence and their womanhood and give it to a woman, you know, where they're writing songs and, and, and a woman that's a little bit older than her that has been through what Tina has gone through and understands that side of the business and still is rooted in funk, I can't say it would be better or worse, but it would have been different. And I think yeah. it would have been maybe just as strong. Because if you look at the... If you look at Tina's work, especially around that time, you know, the Lover Boy situation, but you take a song like Square Biz and, you know, you take what she did with uh, uh, Fire and Ice, whatever, Rick James, and you take Portuguese Love and you look at, you know, how she mm-hmm. can weave different genres together and still make great songs and apply that to the storytelling of Janet trying to find herself as an independent woman and then being in the studio and, and collaborating for a year or 18 months with another woman. Trying to paint this narrative through music, you know, I really do think her and Tina getting together could have been something special. Once again, hmm. I can't say hmm. it would have been better. It definitely would have been different, and I think it would have been special at that time. Let me ask you this. The Tina Marie album that came out that year was Emerald City. That came out in, like, July. The immediately previous Tina Marie album was Star Child, right? Right, that was 84. Exactly. So... We've got four tracks on there. Now, I'm not saying you're, I'm not suggesting that you're saying this would be the track, this would be the track, etc. I know you're speaking more generically, and she would, Kate, she would have carved stuff specifically for Janet. Exactly, right. But there's a lot of styles on that Star Child album, right? You've got Lover Girl and, you know, Young Blood Gets to the Party, etc. But you've also got, and we know, we just got done talking about the slow jams. You've also got, We've Got to Stop Meeting Like This and My Dear Mr. Gay, mm-hmm. which. Both of those out, both of those songs. You know, we we talked about how contemporary flight time, that partnership with them that she also contributed to, made her sound, and how that contemporary vibe was sort of almost key to her success and how iconic she was and how it carved her out from everybody else. With we've got to stop meeting like this. 
and my dear Mr. Gay, the two slow jams on Star Child, they sound like they could have been recorded in like 1972, 1973, right? Production wise, style wise, composition wise, performance wise. To me, it's the sound of the 70s more than the sound of 1984. So I guess what I'm asking is, is in this in this kind of um, image that you have or in this kind of thought that you have, what Tina is Tina going to give Janet? Mm, is she mm. going to stick towards the sort of Jam and Lewis, um, you know, the more up-tempo stuff, which, you know, when Tina did it, it had a bit of a rock edge to it, right? It, um, if it wasn't laden in bass, yeah, it, it, it did. Yeah. Um, or would she give her basically all of Tina? See, this is my thing. I think just from a music standpoint, we would have heard something different than anything Tina ever did for herself. She's trying okay. to tell a story through a young lady trying to find her independence. And I think there's a, there's a, if I can make up a word, a sonic ability that would have come from two women, you know, bonding together and trying to tell a story of independence. Mm. And Tina musically, I think she's just so gifted that she would have brought something to the table that we probably would have never heard before. And it would have been anything, anything like she had done for herself. Tina would not have been speaking for herself at this point. She had been, she would have been trying to do, she would probably try to shape Janet. Mm, That's what I was about to ask you. How old was Tina around that time? Probably in her thirties, maybe, I guess. So now, now you're talking about a, a real mentorship. Yeah. But there's that woman connection. You know what I'm saying? We, we were talking about earlier how, you know, in Janet's storytelling, she was still at the hands of being controlled by men. All in flight time, all in jamming. But there's something different when somebody can connect. And, and I don't know what Tina's entire life was like, but she could have maybe lent Janet to, to a whole different space of being a woman and how they connect. And like, look, let's really get these stories told. Isaac, you just spoke to the honesty of control. How much more honest could you be if you can really relate or have somebody there that can relate directly to what you're trying to do? And knowing mm-hmm. that they're like, especially from a gender standpoint, women bond totally different than they do with each other than they do with men. And musically, if you have somebody as talented as Tina Marie, who's like, look, I'm trying to tell your story. I'm not doing this the same way I would do for me. No telling what would have come out of that. So, yeah, I, I think it's interesting because I think um, I would I would have, you know, in an alternate universe, I would love to hear what that that project how that would have you know manifested i do think though it's also interesting because sometimes when you're the only when your voice is singular in a room it gives you the the um impetus or the the aspiration to make sure that your voice is heard so when janet is there and she's surrounded by men um but they're saying you know this is your project you know tell us what you want to say it may have made her more, you know, um, adamant to get that out. Whereas if she's in a situation where she's being almost mentored to by another woman, she may be a little bit more um, susceptible to letting that woman, you know, okay, well, honey, this is what you're really going through. And this is what this is. And this is what that is. I've been through that too, blah, blah, blah. And it may have added, and you know, I'm, I'm just, this is all speculation. Obviously this is all alternate universe shit. Um, it may have had an, an, an effect on Janet where she may not have had the, um, it may have been an opposite. She may not have felt like I need to say X, Y, and Z. I'm just going to take her advice and shape it, and then we'll put we'll say this. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, it may, I see it. It may have had another but effect. See, on, that, at, that would have been interesting. I know, as but well. I look at it the opposite way. She could have reinforced what Janet was already feeling and encouraged Janet to say even more. It could have worked mm-hmm. that way. 
You know, that's not just like yeah. you said. Sometimes being the single person in the room forces you to come out, but also the same thing happens when you got somebody to validate. When you have an advocate, you get stronger. So yeah, either way, it would be that's 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 a great pick. I, I love it. The only the only kind of the only reluctance I have with it is, you know, Tina's so expansive in what she can do. You know, orchestrations and just so many different vibes even on that one album alone right i think one of the strongest points on control we, we talked about it earlier is its singularity it's such a focused sound and a focused idea almost all the songs it sounds like they recorded them on the same day in the same studio mm-hmm. with the same feeling you know they they hit gold with that singularity for control i, I think it's it's one of those few occasions where being more linear actually became a strength i think mm. and i don't know if she if she gives that up basically by going with someone of tina's capabilities that's an interesting point it is you know but once again the question wasn't about making a comparison it was about what we thought would be different and work. for sure no no for so sure. my thing is that tina with for all sure. of her talents and never having anyone to work with like janet and janet you know yeah. never yeah, having no, I, anybody I right point. that's i'm just looking at the fact that what could have been special because of how you know yeah. unique Tina is and how special this would have been to her and 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 once again Janet working with a producer that is a woman that has a funk sensibility that would have kept her in that black music lane you know that that she had established definitely I agree that's a good one Isaac I hate to let you guys down I got nobody it's so <laughs> I hard about this it's so hard. Right. I tried All to right. that's cool. I mean if you put a gun in my head I kind of would want to hear what uh, based on my love of Pleasure Principle, I want to hear what Monty Moore's, you know, if he did the entire album, what that would sound like. It wouldn't be, I don't think it would be mm-hmm. anything. That's a good point, that's bro. A good point. You ain't lying. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think it would be, I'm not saying it would be as good or better than what Jam and Lewis did by any stretch, but it would have been, I think, very different. So I would have loved to hear what what would that sound like, um, especially with the density and lyrics, you know, of uh, of uh, Pleasure Principle. That's like a long, there's a lot of words in that song. Um, so I would be interested in hearing that. I did wonder though, was there ever a time, do you think, where Mike was sitting around listening to Control in 87, 88, 89, maybe, and saying, and he had the thought maybe of calling Jam and Lewis and saying, let's go. I wonder if there was ever that thought in him of doing that. Because I would, what would a Michael Jackson, Jam and Lewis project sound like in 80, 87, 88? Yeah, at that time. Yeah. I don't doubt that he thought of it. And I don't doubt that he was listening to Control because, you know, Bad is very much, it's kind of got a bigness to it production wise that I think he may be heard in control you know I mean it's undeniably harder edge and part of that is also part of that's also due to the technology available you know at that point in time new synthesizers were coming out you know people wanted to experiment with them people wanted to check their patches they were really mm-hmm. good too so it's it may have come from that but yeah I don't I don't doubt that the thought crossed his mind yeah I just you know at that point in time obviously Mike everything he did was big it's like I, I don't think he did anything unless it had like you know a movie level production budget you know associated with it but i was just being interested in knowing if he was at any point would he was he looking at janet looking at prince and saying you know what <laughs> let me go to minneapolis and spend a few months in minneapolis with you know you know just at a uh warehouse or whatever with nobody else around but me and the me and the producers all right but let me ask you this would ego have ever stopped him would he have wanted to go to quote unquote prince's guys that may have been it, though. Maybe that was what stopped him. Who knows? And can you blame him? I can't no, blame him for all. that because that would have been the headline, you know, 
Michael yeah. Jackson goes to uh, Prince's hometown. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Prince fires Michael hires. <laughs> right. Thank you. My yeah, man. I got two. Um, my, I mean, my first, my first one is, 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 it's like undeniable, but I think that had been, I think they could have done it, but I think they'd have been totally wrong for Janet and that's full force. I, I know I, I started out talking about full force with the work mm. that they did with Lisa, Lisa cult jam. And because of that, I think that they could have, I think that would have given Janet the same kind of access to black radio and I do believe that it would have that it would have crossed over but I think that it would have been absolutely wrong for her because you know full force like to jump in all in the video and I think that had been way too much of a sexual male sexual overtone I mean you know full force they had big juicy jerry curls you know Caspi you know shirtless big hairy chest you know with janet and that shit would have just <laughs> that that wouldn't have fit with the theme arthur <laughs> that i don't think that would have fit with the theme you know but yeah i think that have been all wrong with her just because of the whole aesthetic of full force themselves being at you know with her mm-hmm. or behind her very different visual than what we saw in the control video for example Mm-hmm. But the, but the, my other choice. You know, I would say one thing. I, I think she also would have uh, been reduced to singles, as opposed to us uh, talking about an album. Because Full Force will give that's you. A good point. You have twelve singles, twelve songs on an album. Full Force is gonna give you two good ones. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Seriously. So you know, she if she had hooked up with them, she might have some great singles. I don't know if we'd be talking having a control or, you know, eighteen fourteen. I don't think I don't know if she goes with full force if we're having those conversations. Not the run of singles that she had on control, right? Right, exactly. She wouldn't right. have that succession like right. that. Now my my other choice would have gotten her out of the gate much slower, but I think she would have been able to build up momentum in the long term and that'd have been with Foster and McElroy. Oh I right. was thinking the same thing. <laughs> That was, they, was that again? Just showing my my ignorance. Is that was that Whitney's guy? No, that's in Vogue. In Vogue, yeah, that's okay. in Vogue. In Vogue, yeah. that's in Vogue. But that's also Tommy and Denny. J King. Early. That's also early Tony. Tony. Yep. Tony. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. also Club Nouveau. Why you treat me so bad? Mm. Lean on me. And Timex Social Club from mm-hmm. Berkeley. So California. Janet would have been yelling. Jan, Janet would have been yelling out Oakland instead of Minneapolis. Mm-hmm. But I think Foster McElroy would have set her up going into the into the nineties. And she would have had I think I think Janet would have had a very different aesthetic out of the gate and been a little ahead of her time in that same way. I don't know. The stronger the two, like my heart my heart goes with Foster McElroy. But it's like UTFO I think would have get, gotten her, you know, out of the gate faster. It would have been the softest sound, but let me ask you a question. Do you envision this happening while they're dealing with In Vogue at the same time? Um, no, I envision it happening while they're dealing with Tony, Tony, Tony at the same time. Okay. So you've got Dwayne and Raphael playing on our records. Okay. You could argue that In Vogue came out of Janet, right? Yeah, that's all I was just I mean, going to say. I, mean, I, I know there's huge, yeah, huge differences, but still. Yeah. Yeah. Just that attitude and that presentation and everything right. is... Right, But that's what I'm wondering. If, can, can they do... Can, can in Arthur's mind in envision is can they juggle both at the same time when does this happen or does or do you have to choose right. one or the other is this like does Janet oh, become in Vogue once they're producing Janet there is in Vogue doesn't exist now and all of that goes to into Janet 
I think mm-hmm. what you just said actually does happen okay. in that what if scenario. I think in Vogue doesn't doesn't happen. Maybe Don Robinson comes in for you know for, for backup vocals. Maybe she's the Lisa Keith of it. Right. Okay. Terry Ellis. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Terry Ellis. Yeah. 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 I can see that. I can see that. There's only one other person I can think of that none of us mentioned. That would be. I got one. I mentioned mine yet. Oh, I'm sorry. I forgot. You didn't go. Okay. Go ahead, my man. I got, sorry, I, got I got two in fact. I got two, one which is an absolute no, but one which is a possibly. I hope I get a reaction on this. Arthur, you gave me a massive reaction when I told you what it was. And I've actually forgot. I actually forgot. All I right, remember cool, the reaction, cool, cool. but I even forgot better, why. Even better, even better. All right. Cameo. That was it. That was it. Larry Blackman. Larry Blackman? Wow. Listen. Wow. Listen, listen, Ow. listen, listen. Ow. What? Now, hold up, hold up, hold up. <laughs> what came out? 86. Word Ow. up, right? <laughs> Word up came out 86. Word up, back and forth. Candy, don't be lonely. She's mine. Fast, uh, fierce, and funny. It's the only other production unit. I mean, I don't know if Cameo is a production unit or if Larry it's is. It's all on his Larry. Own, but it's all Larry, man. It's all Larry, right? All Larry. It's like, it's the only other team or guy at that time who had that same hard edged yep. all black all R&B and a heavy dose of singles which are musical but heavy beats it's the only other cat competing at that time to Jam and Lewis and I always it was tripped me out that Larry didn't get the stable of artists that Jam and Lewis developed you know, back and forth candy. There were such monsters even before that. She's strange, single life immediately before that. Attack me with your love. Forget about the 70s stuff. Even in the 80s, Cameo was such a single driven unit with these these tunes that we never forgot, right? We still remember them. I, I always wonder why it never went out. But now, you know, would it have changed it for better or for worse? I think for worse because, but I think it's a dubious question to ask because control is kind of such a high level that in this particular domain that any kind of step off that ledge is a fall but I do think that maybe Larry would have come closest to giving us the kind of aesthetic that we heard with Jimmy and Terry I think you got the best answer right there I wouldn't even say another one after that if I'm you <laughs> okay end of all done <laughs> I wonder though Jay I wonder though the only thing I, I guess just the devil's advocate or pushback a little bit or whatever yeah, please. I think the only thing I would think is that I remember hearing all those songs you mentioned at the time they were out, but I was very young and it was like my older brother and my older cousins were into that. And Cameo felt much older to me, you know, whereas, so I'm wondering, could they, I feel like, yeah, they could have, Larry Blackman could have got that sweetness, you know, that Janet has and could have, you know, maintained that in the same way that Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis did. But I wonder if that sound would have been a little bit too, mm, if it would have skewed a little bit too old, I don't, I don't know if they do, you know, let's wait a while. You know what I'm saying? I don't know if they, I, I just feel like there's a, there's a youth, there's a youthfulness or a somewhat of a, um, I don't, I'm not finding the right words, but there's a little bit more youthfulness around control that I didn't get from cameo at that, at that time, you know what I'm saying? Listening to it with, you know, 10 or 11 year old, year old ears. I didn't get that at that time. Hmm. Right, that's interesting. He's covered I Can't Help Falling in Love, for example, right? So he has got kind of quote-unquote sweet moments. I get what you mean. It was very, there was something very masculine about the stuff that they were doing. 
Um, in fact, the album immediately after Word Up was um, Machismo. 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 Yeah. That's, I think maybe that's the word I'm looking for. Because even Candy, as, I mean, you know, no pun intended, but as sweet as that song is, there's a very masculine masculinity to it that kind of skews it older. Especially the way he's delivering it, like that commanding kind of delivery that he had. And plus just their swagger and the clothes they wore, mm. that kind of Isaac Hayes punk hybrid. Yeah, I, I, I totally get that. That's the only other unit that I can think of that came out of funk really locked into modern R&B at the time stayed successful despite coming out of that classic 70s live band funk um, idiom you know not many of those cats whether it's Cool and the Gang Earth, Wind and Fire Ohio Players not many of them slave not many of them transitioned in the way that Cameo did to being contemporarily respected on the charts and and with the people um, you know the same group of people that they originally made music for they were still kind of accepted in that way. Scoop, maybe you can, you know, tell me if I'm wrong on that. No, no, you're exactly right. But part of that is because, you know, you got to understand Larry Blackman comes from New York. So there was always a New York sound. But once they moved and he moved to Atlanta, I mean, the entire Atlanta, Atlanta. music scene was built around. They, they started that entire thing. So I hear what Isaac's saying, but I think if Larry Blackman had gotten his hands on Janet Jackson, especially dealing with the... The, the the Atlanta music scene they were creating and especially the gay community in Atlanta that was being created at that time, he would have come out with a whole different sound that would have extended itself into the 90s the same way that 70s music transferred into the 80s. I, I think we would have gotten a, got a whole different sound. You. And, you know, talk about Janet in Minneapolis. Janet could have been the, you know, godmother of the entire Atlanta sound had she hooked up with Larry Blackman. It's a pity, I mean, whether it was Janet or not, it's a pity that they never stretched beyond their own, you know, their own crew, like, you know, doing the Tommy Jenkins album, Charlie Singleton, etc. It's a pity that they didn't find a vehicle to to keep going in this particular way. It's interesting how regional this has gotten, you know, Minneapolis, mm-hmm. Bay Area, now yeah. Atlanta. It's interesting. Yeah, but no, Jahan made a point about why Cameo did things that the other groups weren't able to do. And to me, that's part of the reason. The relocation and having the space to do what they did in Atlanta. The other slave couldn't do that. Ohio players couldn't do None of them, you know, none of them could really do that. Mm-hmm. But I think the sound also, like I said, there were, there, there were certain sounds that were coming out of certain places and certain regions in the country. New York had a sound. Yeah, Oakland, Bay Area, o- Oakland, had, a Bay Area uh-huh. had a sound. Atlanta had developed a sound. Detroit had a sound. Detroit had a sound. You know what I'm saying? So it's like... That's the way music was actually Memphis being had done. a sound. Tennessee had a sound. Tennessee, right. Alabama, right. So Muscle Shoals, all that was especially a sound. Especially if that... Look, Ohio had its own sound, the whole funk thing. Oh, God, yeah. Right. You know, so... Right, so I'm saying, so right. it, it, it became regional because every region had its own sound. That was part of the culture of the, of the place that they went. I, I think a lot of you guys' choices would have resulted in a, a, you know, extremely successful album and maybe even a, you know, hit album. But I think that what happened, though, I think we all agree was like it wasn't just a hit. It became iconic and it became it changed the game, you know, and that's what I think that's what that's that's what uh, def, I guess delineates all these alternate, you know, um, universes. What, let me ask you guys a question, though. No, isn't Babyface and L.A. Reid like the layup? Isn't that the easy choice? Isn't that the they came yeah. after? Right. Mac band was Mac band like uh, or the, the deal, deal rather. Yeah. The deal was like yeah. 87. They, right? did, they weren't really I'm saying. Doing yeah, they thing. were still active. I mean, uh, yeah, I get I get what you're saying, but they were still doing things. You know, I'm just saying an alternate universe had they, yeah. 
you know, has she shown up on their doorstep and like, yo, how would you guys like to, you know, I know you guys are just starting doing whatever you're doing, but let's, you know, let's, let's do this project. My thing I thought about. That's kind of like the layup, right? Because Bobby Brown was how, what year was that? 89? When, when, was, when was Bobby Brown? 88. Don't Be Cruel was 88. Mm. And in fact, in fact, it, uh, his previous album, King of Stage, had a couple of tracks produced by Larry Blackman on him. Mm. But Don't Be Cruel, another kind of, you know, statement album right or you know you know yeah, coming out, coming out of, my prerogative right yeah, yeah. right I'll, I'll say this Interesting. as well as we'll say is that he i thought about that but my the reason i pivoted from even mentioning that is because you look at the artists that they had already done i'm like well they had a chance to do janet similar situations and she would have sounded like stuff they would wound up doing yeah. anyway Pebbles and Karen White. Well, well yeah, I think they, I, I they, wanna, that came out say, of Janet, yeah, but though, right? They, yeah. they, that's right. I, ex- yeah, without exactly. Janet, you don't that get Karen White. Janet directly. Mm. Yeah. Directly. Like, if you watch that fantastic... I mean, Isaac, you, you better watch it one day, bro. I mean, I can keep threatening you about it. If you watch that fantastic documentary on Netflix, The Black Godfather, mm-hmm. about Clarence Avon, mm-hmm. who was Jimmy and Terry's kind of, you know, mentor in this um, in the business... In the documentary, LA and Babyface say that they approached Clarence Avant and said, you know, we need you to do for us what you've done for Jimmy and Terry. So they very much came after flight time. And I think their sound was, you know, I think they'll freely admit their sound was directly inspired by mm. um, uh, by, by what J- Jam and Lewis were doing at that time. Love it when we learn something on this show. And that is a wrap for this episode and the season finale of this season of the Music Snobs podcast. We are online. Our Twitter handle is Total Music Snobs. Our website address, themusicsnobs.com. Please subscribe and review the show in Apple Podcasts or Apple Music, whatever Apple's calling their product now that used to be iTunes. Uh, We are available in Spotify where you can follow the show. We are available everywhere that fine RSS feeds are consumed. Although this is the season finale of the Music Snobs, go check out our other podcast, Mad Unreal, um, at Mad. Where is it at, Arthur? Where are we at? Um, on Twitter. Uh, now, you and, set all this up and you don't even know where the hell to find us. <laughs> I don't even know where to find us. <laughs> RSS, something, LG5s and <laughs> TMMs and someplace. Go find us. Mad Unreal. <laughs> And also, we got uh, another sister show is returning soon. Uh, Snobs on Film coming back soon. Go check out Mad Unreal and prepare for Snobs on Film. Stay safe, everyone.